Good morning, Grace Church. It's so good to be with you this morning. Uh, this is my first time in beautiful East End. Thank you so much for Pastor Mark and his family for having me, for having me come and preach God's word to you. Um, I'm really excited to be here. And so let's look at our passage today from Luke 5, uh, verses 27 to 32. This is God's word. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Sunday morning. We gather together as your people to listen to you, speak to us from your word. Lord, would you open our eyes and give us ears to hear, eyes to see wondrous things that you have for us. Would you bless every brother and sister and friend that here in our midst? Would your Holy Spirit work in our heart and souls? Would you give us exactly what we need, Lord? Uh, we need to hear from you. We need your strength for this coming week. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what is the most lavish feast that you have ever been to? When I was not eating my feelings during COVID, I was researching famous people that eat better than me. So about three years ago, an American woman married some guy that goes by the name Prince Harry. And you, you probably guessed it, uh, Meghan Markle and, and married Prince Harry. I know that they've stepped down now as royals and it's all fascinating modern day meets ancient tradition stuff. But hey, they still had a royal wedding. Um, the food itself at the reception plus wardrobe and honeymoon came out to about $2.8 million. The entire wedding itself was $45.8 million, and most of it was spent on security. Like whose wedding gets put all, all over TV um, for everyone in the world to watch? Only kinds like these. The BBC and other British stations had a nonstop, week-long, uninterrupted coverage of this royal wedding. Have you, have you ever wondered who actually gets invited to such things? Probably not you or I. I mean, if you were, as my college students say, please spill the tea. Uh, you want to guess what's on that list? I'm going to rattle off a couple of names, courtesy of the variety and the excellent snooping that they do. Uh, first, we have the queen and the royal family, duh. Next, we have two-time People's World's, excuse me, two-time People's Magazine's World's Sexiest Man Alive, actor George Clooney, and his wife, Amal Clooney, a, a famous human rights lawyer. After that, we have the Spice Girls, the famous UK pop icon group. Um, next, we have James Blunt, Grammy-nominated Grammy singer who's famous for singing You're Beautiful. I'm not going to sing it for you. I know Pastor Mark Wood would, but... Um, after that, we have Serena Williams, 
one of the greatest tennis players of all time, period. She's won, I think, at least 23 Grand Slams, and the list goes on. All rich, famous, accomplished, and well-connected people. Well, then I thought about Jesus and how, in the Bible, Jesus is associating, associated with feasts. Uh, Luke 7 says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And throughout the Gospels, he gave parables connected to feasts and even made feasts like him, excuse me, even made feasts himself, like when he fed thousands of people with just a few loaves of bread and a few fish. And he came from heaven to earth and he got the party started with his first miracle when he turned water into wine at a dying wedding feast. And even at the very end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, the consummation of God's kingdom is described as a great wedding feast of the lamb and his bride. So I've got one question. If a modern-day royal wedding costs $46 million, and that only the most famous and accomplished people are invited, who is invited to Jesus' feast? He's a king of kings, after all. Who is invited to his wedding feast? Who's on that guest list? Today, I want to answer the question, who's invited in our passage coming from the perspective of three different people in this passage I was just read. First, we're going to look at Levi. He's a tax collector. Second, we're going to look at the scribes and the Pharisees. And then finally, we're going to let Jesus have the final word. So first, Levi, the tax collector. Second, the Pharisees and scribes. And then last, we're going to hear from Jesus himself. So our story starts with a Jewish man named Levi, who we're told is a tax collector. That might not mean anything to you, um, but this is telling us way more than just this man's profession. You know, you meet somebody, hi, who are you? Hi, my name is so-and-so. What do you do? This is my profession. It's so much more than that because to be someone Jewish at this time uh, meant, and working as a tax collector meant that you were hated by your own Jewish people. You wouldn't have much friends. No good Jewish parents would want their children to marry you. Why? Because during Roman occupation, the Roman government would hire Jewish people from their own communities to collect taxes for the, for the government, and therefore these tax collectors are often seen in their own communities as greedy traitors who are betraying their people and getting rich off their own people's backs. They were infamous for abusing their authority uh, given to them by the Roman government and by demanding more taxes than what was required and keeping the extra for themselves so they could get rich. So Levi, in the story, did not have a good reputation in his community as a tax collector. He was hated and despised by his community. And then yet here today comes a man, a Jewish rabbi named Jesus, to meet him. Jesus sees Levi in his workplace, in his, what we're told, a tax booth. He walks right, proverbially, into his corner office, and he says to Levi, follow me. We're not told everything about this conversation. Uh, I imagine Levi would have been absolutely shocked that someone like Jesus would walk into his office and talk to him. But Jesus, Jesus calls Levi to follow him, and we see his response to this Jewish rabbi. Levi gets up, he leaves everything behind, and he follows Jesus. And this was a big deal in Levi's life. Uh, commentators talk about how this was not just Jesus saying, hey, can you take a break and can you help me with something? 
it's just some casual, brief interruption. When, G- when Levi left everything, he really did leave everything behind. He never returned to that line of work again he, of defrauding people. He left his past life, and he completely committed himself to following Jesus, someone who had shown grace to him. So Jesus walks right into this reviled man's life. He asks Levi to follow him. And then what happens to this man? His life becomes completely changed. Look what he does. Verse, uh, look at verse 29. In response, we're told Levi made him, that's Jesus, a great feast in his house, which, by the way, as we'll see, is a huge house. We're told that there's a large company of tax collectors and others who are eating together. So Levi makes Jesus the guest of honor throws him a huge feast, and invites all his friends. But wait, what friends? You're a tax collector and you're hated by all in your community. What friends do you have? Well, other tax collectors, other shameful misfits of society. But uh, but Levi invites them too because he wants to throw a big party to show his gratitude to Christ. So Levi used what he had to honor Christ, his money, his huge house, his friends. But wait, now not only is Jesus seen hanging out with one tax collector in public, now he's hanging out with multiple tax collectors and their ignoble riffraff friends. So next we'll see that there's a group of people that think that this whole scene is utterly repulsive and embarrassing. It's embarrassing, they think, that Jesus is eating with Levi and his friends. These are, we see in our passage, the Pharisees and the scribes. These are the religious leaders of the day. And they thought that would make you, a person unclean, to associate with hated, despised sinners like tax collectors. We're told that they grumble and they tell Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now, What's the big deal? Sharing a meal with somebody, what's the big deal with that? Well, actually, it actually be a lot. Um, I'm going to quote a, a, well, there's, a, there's an anthropologist named Mary D- Douglas, excuse me, Mary Douglas. She had a famous essay titled Deciphering a Meal. And in this essay, she talks about how in all cultures, meals represent boundary markers. They mark the boundaries between different levels of intimacy and acceptance. Who you eat with says a lot about who you are. It says a lot about who you're associated with, who belongs, and who doesn't. I want you also now to listen to this quote by a New Testament scholar, Scott Barchi, on what table fellowship meant in that day. Quote, it would be difficult to overestimate the importance of table fellowship for the cultures of the Mediterranean basin in the first century. Meal times were far more than occasions for individuals to consume nourishment. Being welcomed at a table for the purpose of eating food with another person had become a ceremony richly symbolic of friendship, intimacy, and unity. Thus, betrayal or unfaithfulness toward anyone with whom one had shared the table was viewed as particularly reprehensible. On the other hand, when persons were estranged, a meal invitation opened the way to reconciliation. Do you hear that? It puts the Pharisees' question now in a different light, doesn't it? Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why are you eating with those people, Jesus? 
They're cheats. They're traitors. They're enemies of God. They haven't changed. We're not tight anymore. They don't belong. And that's not right. You shouldn't be doing that, Jesus. You're a rabbi. You're a preacher. Don't you know that you are associating with sinners? You should be holy like us and only associate with other holy people. The Pharisees thought that Jesus should only be eating with people that were holy like them. They thought that the last group of people in the world that Jesus should be hanging out with uh, and associating with would be people like tax collectors and sinners. Yet they could not be further from the truth. They didn't know Jesus at all. They didn't know who he is, truly. They didn't know why he came. They didn't know his mission or his heart. And now we're going to get that in the very next verse when Jesus responds. Look with me now at verse 31, 32. This is Jesus saying, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus is in a way effectively saying, I'm not who you think I am, and you might not know who you are. I'm a physician who has come to heal the sick. I came to save sinners, not for those who are already righteous. I came to graciously call sinners to repentance. Because there's a better way. To leave your life of utility without me and to come and to follow me. That's what he did for Levi. When he called him to leave his tax collecting and to follow him. Who else could do that but him? By the way, I should say, if you, uh, if you didn't know, Levi is also known in the Bible as Matthew, the apostle. You can look him up in the other Gospels. He's one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. See, Levi, prior to meeting Jesus, was sick, spiritually sick. Uh, he was estranged from God and even his own Jewish community. And then now Jesus comes and welcomes him into his, welcomes him to his feast, uh, into his own community, into his own family as one of his own students. And that's why Jesus goes to him and calls him to follow him. That is why Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners, because as the Son of God, these sinners can't make him unclean, but Jesus can make them clean. They can't make Jesus sick, but Jesus can heal them. He shows his grace to Levi Come, Levi, follow me. And you see how grace changed his life. Unfortunately, the, the Pharisees didn't get this, he, and it kept them far from Jesus. They thought they were well, that they were righteous that they, when they weren't. And they even ended up plotting to kill him. Um, they, they thought that they didn't need the kind of Savior that Jesus is. But you see in the Gospels that Jesus eats with them too. Uh, Luke 7, Luke 11, Luke 14. In all those passages, you see that Jesus also went and ate with tax collectors. Um, excuse me, also ate with Pharisees too. Um, as Pastor Tim Keller says, Jesus isn't self-righteous about self-righteousness. But so long as these Pharisees held onto their spiritual pride, they would not accept Jesus' invitation to his feast. So again, I ask, who's invited who is this feast for? Jesus came for sinners. He came for the weak and the poor. 
the despised and the hated, the rejected, the outcast, the social pariah, the misunderstood, the loner, the unlovable, the marginalized, to welcome them in to his feast. It is for tax collectors like Levi. It is for, if you go two more chapters, you see that this is for prostitutes. And if I go further, dare I say it, it's for racists. It's for people that vote for that guy. It's, those that cause, it's for those that cause social unrest. It's for the broken and the bruised, the sick and the poor, the widow and the orphan. It is for the unwell, the not right, the not okay, the messed up. It's for the ashamed and the guilty. It's for people like us. It's for you and me. Regardless, Jesus welcomes them and us and does so freely. And only he can do that because he himself knows what it means to be someone well and without sin. Yet for our sake, as we read, became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our salvation, Jesus was willing to be associated with us, to be treated as an outcast, to be mocked, rejected, despised, hated, and ultimately killed to pay for our sins. A price, this was a price greater than millions and billions of dollars so that he can welcome you and I to the grandest of wedding feasts. And Jesus was raised from the dead. And he calls and he offers himself to all who need him, which is all of us, because if we're honest with ourselves, none of us are right. We're all sick. We're not righteous. We are all in need of grace. We are in need of Jesus Christ. And so I ask you, I'm asking this of myself, do you know who you are? Do you know who Jesus is? He might be calling you today. Would you come and would you follow him? Would you lay down your spiritual pride and take up his gracious invitation to his party now, maybe you might be focused on something completely different right now in your life. You're off to a proverbially different party, but Jesus calls you to leave that life, that pursuit, and to come and to follow him. Come into the life and the feast that he has prepared for you. The greatest life. It is the grandest feast. How great is his love for us. Well, where, where do we go from here? I just want to follow, uh, finish with two, two different steps. And, and I think I believe in your bulletin, there's two next steps. And I just have two quick points, and I'm going to close. First, I want us to consider this. If we follow this Jesus, this Jesus who came for sinners, for the sick, then we as his people should be the most hospitable and welcoming people of all. I want us to listen to this, the quote from Tim Keller he says that we all naturally want with people who are like us, who like us, and those that we like. We, like pe- we want to be with people that like us, they like us, we like them, and they are like us. We're similar. We resonate. We connect really easily. We play in the same social strata. But the gospel changes all of that. We welcome others, whoever those people are, Yeah, even those that you consider in in your world, in your mind, in this society, whoever you consider a great sinner, because Jesus first welcomed us and made us his friends. So if you're new to Grace Church, I hope you'd stick around. 
I hope you stick around because that's what this church is all about, that we are a people of grace, of God's grace. It wouldn't even make sense of why we're together apart from the fact that Jesus brought us together by his love. That's the first. Second, it's not just about welcoming others uh, and being hospitable to others. What about actually going to such people? And it's not just about waiting for them to come to us on our turf. What about going to them? So for, who are those in our lives, as we consider, that naturally don't belong, that are ignored, that are easily misunderstood, that are despised? Who are those that God has put right in front of us before our very eyes for us to go to them and welcome them in? And I pray that the Spirit would teach us what this would look like in all the different ways of our lives. You see in the story today that Levi... Jesus turned him from his greed, and he used, not what he didn't have, but he used what God had given him to honor Christ. What has God given you? I know there are things that you wish you had, but you still don't. But what has he given you? What has he given you in your relationships, in your communities, in your wealth, in your education, your gifts, skills, and talents to love and welcome others to your campus to your city, to your village and neighborhood, or wherever wherever God has you. Would we pray together, Jesus, I I want to follow you. Show me what it means to follow you this week. Show me what it means to follow you in this month. What do you have for me in walking with you for the rest of this year? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace displayed in your Son, Jesus Christ, who came not for the well, but the unwell, for the sick. You came for the unrighteous, which is all of us. Lord, would we consider and ponder and just marvel at your great love to come and to save us, to accept us, to bring us into your family, to your dinner table. Lord, as grace has met us and has changed our lives and hearts, would we do that for others? Would we go to them and welcome them in to your great feast in your house? Lord, would you bless us in the hearing of your word? And would you radically uh, go into our hearts and souls and renovate our lives, Lord, so we will walk in, 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 in righteousness and holiness before you, displaying to others the same grace that we have received. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.